What's up, guys? Rick here with your DFS preview for this week's Valspar Championship. A very quick turnaround from the Monday finish that was the players until this Thursday start that is the Valspar Championship. So with that, there are a couple of housekeeping items that I need to talk through. And I know a lot of you love to fast forward through this. Give me like 90 seconds here. I promise it'll be worth your while. Um, scheduling for this week, mostly the same, a little bit different on Monday, obviously. So there was not a DFS golf preview, so I released my annual March Madness Optimal Bracket video. I have no idea what is going on in college basketball, but historically, I've been very good at using math to create a good bracket, arguably a great bracket. So go check out that video. It's the only time once a year I do something, you know, non-golf related. Um <clears throat> Additionally, the live chat this week is pushed back a couple of hours. So it's still going to be on Wednesday, but it's at 6 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday instead of 3 p.m. Eastern. The scramble shows still going to roll with the same time, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Additionally, I will be on, uh, as of right now, scheduled for a PGA Tour-hosted Twitter spaces at 5 p.m. on Tuesday. If you're serious about elevating DFS and betting voices in a larger PGA Tour ecosystem, please support that Twitter space. Please be involved. Please whatever you can do to share it around because that only helps us integrate voices like mine and others in this industry um, that are helping to forward DFS and betting purposes. Uh, additionally... I want to move forward to the Valspar, but I, I must look back because there, I was sent so many screenshots. There were so many large contests last week. Two I want to point out. Dan Logsdon, congratulations, won $43,000 and sheets. Eric Haber finished second in the Millie Maker for one hundred grand. Congratulations. Love to see everybody absolutely killing it. I think that's it. I think we can now move on to the Valspar. We can move on to Innisbrook. Let's just do it. The Copperhead Course, the Snake Pit, Innisbrook, here we go. This is the final leg of the Florida Swing, and this course is not really like the other Florida courses, which are generally flat, and there's water lurking everywhere. This is a plot of land with a lot more elevation changes. You're going to see uh, more tree-lined fairways. It is technically in Florida, though doesn't really play like it, and in fact, there's actually a stat that Andy Lack put out in his course preview, which is already live on rickrungood.com. It is a stupid, nerdy, uh, really deep, in-depth look at this golf course. And he points out that while some of the other Florida courses are, you know, top five in terms of penalty strokes because there's water lurking everywhere, Innisbrook is bottom five. So you'll see water out there, but it's not really in play. It's still going to be a very difficult, tough task. These uh, fairways are, are kind of hard to hit. The greens are very hard to hit. So there is going to be a true challenge out there. If you're looking at the regression model, so this is what I run every single course, every single year, all the stats, all that fun stuff. Uh, the the one statistic that stands alone here is approach play. It's ranked eighth, which means there's only seven other courses on the PGA Tour in which strokes gained approach is more important. You'll notice that driving distance pretty far down the list. That's that tree-lined aspect, right? It's okay to be 
a couple of yards off the fairway. It's not okay to be 15 yards off the fairway because then you're in prison. So accurate drivers who are good on approach play, if they can also hit it far and accurate, even better. But overall, this is going to be a true test for our game's best. Uh, technically, Bermuda grass greens, but as we know, Florida this time of year, they're overseeded. It's a whole real deal that everybody wants to argue with you about on Twitter, but the average green size, uh, only 5,800 yards. And really, I think maybe the most notable aspect of the Copperhead course, the five par threes, and they're all like 190 yards or longer. I mean, it's a really tough set of par threes and you really have to make your hay on the par fives because that's generally the only places that you're going to get below par scoring averages over the course of the week. So uh, mix in maybe a little bit of wind and rain. Who knows what's going on in Florida, but this is going to be a challenge and we're going to have to find the best golfers for this week coming off of a grueling long players championship week. Here is the cheat sheet, and we are already seeing, as expected, WDs from this event. So uh, as of this moment, Tuesday morning, this cheat sheet is accurate, and it'll be updated if any more WDs come through. The notables, um, Paul Casey is out. He's twice a winner at this event. He withdrew on Tuesday morning. Sebastian Munoz has withdrawn. Um, Doug Gim is out. Everybody else, for now, still in. So let's look at the board here. Uh, Justin Thomas leads the way at 11,000. Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, Xander Shoffley, and Dustin Johnson round out the rest of the $10,000 tier. Um, they're all great. They're all fine. Victor Hovland, arguably the hottest player on the planet right now. If you go over to the power rankings, you look at the last 50 rounds, you sort by just Valspar, you're going to see Victor Hovland, raw strokes gain total, the number one player in this field, 1.68. Eight. Tommy Fleetwood is right behind, but remember, he's got more than half of those are European Tour events. He's got the Saudi International in there, so only like a third of those are PGA Tour rounds. Victor's um, three-quarters of his rounds are coming from PGA Tour rounds, so keep that in mind. We can look at the weighted strokes gained in just one second, but Victor really stands supreme here, and he will be the first to tell you that his around-the-green play uh, has caused him more strokes than he would have liked over the course of the last two weeks when he's been in contention. Uh, there's a theory and an argument to be made that the uh, the the pitching opportunities, the chipping opportunities around the greens at the Copperhead course are not nearly as difficult as we've seen in the past couple of weeks. A little bit more straightforward. You're a little better off if you're not the world's best short game player. Now, the good news for Victor, uh, he's the world's best ball striker, right? He just broke his own record uh, for his own career, his personal best, of strokes gained ball striking last week at the Players' Championship, plus four and a half off the tee plus nine and a half on approach. Obviously, he has an ace in there, which helps in a big way, but it, it is just absolutely splendid stuff. So what we're seeing here from Victor. So I probably lean towards him. I lean towards Colin Morikawa, and I lean towards Dustin Johnson. The Morikawa stuff is interesting, and I'm going to have this really broken out in 
my uh, run good rundown. That's my newsletter that I send out every single week. So if you're not um, if you're not subscribed to that, there's a link in the description, or you can go to rickrungood.com slash newsletter. You can get invited. I just send out little nuggets and trends and tidbits and things that probably don't even matter. But um, the par fives that I mentioned, the five, or excuse me, the par threes that I mentioned, the five par threes over 190 ish yards. That's kind of Morikawa's sweet spot. And then you get him on the par fives, and he's kind of a killer in those situations. I'm 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 really liking the way Morikawa sets up. And we can just absolutely forget about the performance at the players championship. When you are on the wrong side of a three and a half stroke wave disadvantage and you are playing in what multiple players described as some of the toughest conditions they've ever seen, they've ever played in. Wipe it clean. No big deal. I'm I'm willing to forgive and forget all of those guys who played on that side of the wave. And there's an argument to be made that maybe not having to play into Monday at the Players' Championship is actually actually advantageous for heading to the Valspar. Hard to say. We'll never be able to quantify it. But Morikawa, Victor, lead the way. And then the sneaky Dustin Johnson stuff. Um, I've been bopping around, bouncing around on DJ over the course of the last couple of months, not really knowing when to deploy him and when to not deploy him. And he had the biggest backdooriest top 10 ever at the Players Championship last week. He shoots the the course record, ties the course record 63 on Sunday in which he just gained four and a half strokes with the putter. He holed out for Eagle on his final hole of the day. It was just it was a backdoor, never in contention of this thing, finishes T9, um, but you do see kind of the positives that come out of it, right? You see that he putted well and gained strokes with the putter even outside of that course uh, record tying rounds. He also gained strokes in both of the ball striking categories over the course of the week. He is someone that I think... Um, with the fives and the threes that they have that are kind of unique and, and your opportunities to score around Innisbrook offer a pretty good cheaper option here at 10,200. I'm willing to deploy him this week, although I have a very short leash on kind of the, the, the look uh, of how to use Dustin Johnson moving forward. The $9,000 range is pretty fascinating. You know, uh, I, I certainly tip my cap to Louis Oosthuizen. I like what he is up to. He's got three straight uh, trips to Valspar in which he hasn't finished outside the top 16. He did have a runner-up finish in there. I love as it, it, the opportunity to maybe get Louis as your second man in. Obviously, there are general concerns about him winning golf tournaments, but at 9900 bucks, if he's your second guy in, it's a little bit more uh, stomachable stomachable is that a word able to stomach it uh after that sam burns i i really think this is kind of a decent leverage spot so burns is not only your defending champion but he's played here three times never finished worse than 30th we saw good signs at api and for basically three rounds we saw great play at the players championship he kind of punted it away a little bit in rounds four of the players but like it's kind of okay to do that sometimes, right? And we've seen Burns do that at points in his career, but he's getting better at not doing that. We've got him in contention. We've got him with a couple of victories. It's it's a little bit rare to see him punted away, but for 3.6 million bucks and the world's best and a lot of other stuff going on and water everywhere, like it's just it's easy to punt it away at TPC Sawgrass. And I feel like if he would have finished T3 there would be a fever pitch to get access to Sam Burns this week while 
one really kind of bad round and a T26, I don't think people are going to be as excited. So I'll, we'll see on Wednesday afternoon kind of what that ownership is shaping up to be. I'm wondering if the industry will kind of forgive one round or if they will go back to our defending champion. If they don't go back to him, I'd be interested. Uh, Abe, answer uh, you guys know I'm not I'm not like a huge Abe answer guy, but I think that you could very seriously deploy him this week. So two trips to Innisbrook, 16th and 5th. They are they were a couple years apart. He did not play this in 2019. And when you start looking at the profile of a golfer who should play well at the Copperhead course, what do you start to think of? Well, being in the fairway or close to it is Abraham Answers game, right? If you look at his driving accuracy, he's seventh on tour in playing out of the fairway. Then you start looking at approach play. Okay, well, uh, in in total strokes gained approach, he hasn't been as good this season, but we are starting to see maybe signs of that turning around. He's gained a little bit in four out of his last five. We don't have his numbers from the Saudi International because they don't do the strokes gained breakdown for that event, but he finished so you imagine he hit the ball okay. This is, a, 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 I, I believe, a much better setup for him than we've seen in recent weeks and in recent months. Uh, so Abe answer at 9,300 is probably my favorite guy out of the range. And then we've got to decide what to do with Matt Fitzpatrick. He was your chalk bomb. He was your guy who was uh, super popular in the $7,000 range. The Players' Championship was in the worst end of the draw. If I'm going to forgive Colin Morikawa for that, I've got to forgive Matt Fitzpatrick for that miscut and look at all the other top 10s. Now that he is, I, I believe, $1,300 more expensive this week than he was last, I cannot imagine there's going to be a huge rush to get back to accessing Matt Fitzpatrick. Maybe that's our opportunity to deploy him. So again, we'll know later in the week as we get closer to this thing locking, which feels... It's just tomorrow as I record this. I don't know when you're listening to it or watching it, but we will know soon what the ownership looks like for those guys, and I think the 9K range will be pretty ownership-driven. Before I jump too deep into the $8,000 range, I did just want to pull up the Holy Grail here, load up the field, and just look at Valspar Championship history and start to see what names we find in this $8,000 range. Well, the fourth best player in this field at this event, dating back to 2008, is Bubba Watson. He's 8800 bucks. This kind of makes sense. As a Bubba track, he's gaining a stroke and a half per round over 22 rounds. It's a lot of rounds, and it's a lot of strokes to gain. T13 last year, T4 the year prior. He had a third-place finish back in 2010. He's played this event sporadically, right? Doesn't always play it. He's only played it, what is that, seven times in the last... 13 years, something like that. So it's not something that he always tees up, but when he plays here, he tends to play well. And it kind of makes sense. You got you get the Florida-ish vibe, but you also get kind of elevation, creativity, opportunities. You also get the through line of par five scoring. It makes sense that this is a Bubba track. And for two rounds last week, he was awesome. Right. Remember when everyone was uh, drooling over Justin Thomas's 69 in round two at the Players' Championship at TPC Sawgrass in the worst of the conditions? Uh, Bubba Watson had his own bogey free 68 better round than Justin Thomas. And both of those guys faded over the final two. And and there is kind of um, this is probably a different topic for a, a different day on a different podcast or something like that. But there is an argument to be made that it's really hard to play straightforward golf after really creative golf. 
So in round two, they had to be so creative, hit every window, every shot, every wind direction, everything. And then it was a lot more straightforward stock shots over the final two rounds. And there's a lot of guys that think that's hard to do. And now maybe unlocking a little bit more of that creativity for Bubba Watson this week. I'm interested. So he pops up in the $8,000 range. And then it's a pretty decent gap, about a third of a stroke down to Alex Noren, although he's only played four rounds at this event. Webb Simpson is here. Webb Simpson's played 32 rounds on paper, a tree-lined course that wants you to... Uh, you know, play out of the fairway and rely a bit on your approach play. That's generally a good spot for Webb, and he's shown it. He's got a runner-up finish here. He had a T8 in 2018. He's generally gained strokes uh, on approach and T to green in, in nearly every single year. If you're willing to take a flyer on Webb, can we just look at what, I don't even, let's, let's look at Webb's metrics last week. And these metrics are hard because when you're splitting over days, there's so many different variables, and this is the only start we have on Webb in a long time time lost strokes off the tee even on approach not great around the green and he gained strokes with the putter it's not great it's really not great but again if you're willing to throw out the players championship stuff for other guys you have to throw it out for web too he would be for me a very deep flyer in this eight thousand dollar range not one i'm particularly excited about but i could stomach the risk I'll be interested to see what the industry does with an $8,100 Russell Knox. He's playing well, right? He had those three straight T33 finishes, which is almost mathematically impossible. And then he made the cut at Honda. And then he top tens of the Players' Championship last week. And if you look at his history around this event, three consecutive top 25 finishes. He had another one in 2014. So he's generally been on the first couple of pages of the leaderboard at the Valspar. Pretty interesting little setup for him. The 7K range starts off with someone that I'm pretty excited about and I'm never really excited about Adam Hadwin but I think this week has to change so this is what I love to see you know there are times when narratives and stats align and we know that Adam Hadwin went at the end of the 2021 kind of went back was able to reset kind of work on some things and you are now starting to see that in his actual stats here so here's his last event of 2021 rsm classic he loses two strokes on approach that was a trend in 2021 he was horrendous he was losing uh i believe it was like a i don't want to say a half a stroke per round that's a lot i think it was like a, a two tenths of a stroke per round on approach in 2021 well look at what has happened since the new year he has played Six measured events. He has gained strokes on approach in five of them. He has gained multiple strokes on approach in three of his last four, including last week at the Players' Championship. So we are seeing tangible statistical gains in a golfer's weak point from the previous year. That is a big deal. Let me tell you, when you start looking at profiles like this over and over and over again, you realize that's a big deal. The other thing that you get to add to the Adam Hadwin stuff is he's won this event before. He won it in 2017. He finished 12th in 2018. He's missed two cuts since then, but I think we're getting a convergence of a golfer who's definitely on the, uh, if this was poker, we'd say like the top end of his range, right? Versus uh, combine that with someone who is uh, pro probably with plenty of good vibes around the Copperhead course, right? So that's, that's very interesting to me at $7,900. I will roll out Aaron Wise uh, one more time. 
one more time, we're going to roll out Aaron Wise. When you start looking, I don't know how far back I have to go. Let's just do 24 rounds of, of tee to green play, something like that, and just do um, only golfers in this field. Let's see. I bet you Aaron Wise is pretty far. Maybe not, actually. Okay. He's right here. He's just below Adam Spence, and he's like uh, 20th on the list. I thought he would actually be higher than that. Let's go to approach play. Does he get any better? Maybe not, actually. Here he is. Maybe it's ball striking. Oh, boy, I'm really trying to fit the narrative here on Aaron Wise. Okay, there he is. He's basically top 10 in the ball striking categories, and you can see it. I mean, the 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 bad news is... Aaron Wise has kind of lost that short-term positive putter momentum that we saw kind of in the fall portion of the schedule. He's he's lost the putter. He's lost it. He's lost three strokes at Riviera, four and a half at Bay Hill, five at the Players' Championship. That's all the bad news. The good news is that now just moves him right back into the squarely into the team no-putt conversation where he's gaining a ton of strokes off the tee, a ton of strokes on approach. His tee to green play is strong. I wish he was a little bit sharper around the green, but as we discussed, not necessarily a huge concern around copper head so he's at least team no putt now which by default i would have liked i would have loved to have seen these more consistent gains with the putter but um he never cashed that winning ticket for us i said i'd play him through florida and i think that is um that is still the case 7700 bucks I actually find the bottom of this, the $7,000 range quite quite good uh, compared to some of the other tiers. Frankie Molinari, $7,500. We saw him get hot, kind of punted it away a little bit at the end of the Players' Championship, but this should be a better setup for him. Um, Sebastian Munoz just withdrew, so you can remove his name, and I'll take him out of the cheat sheet as well. You've got um, Doc, who we're seeing we're seeing good signs from Doc again, right? And I still believe Doc is on his at his best on courses that demand good drivers of the golf ball. So he's 7,400. Even Adam Svensson, who has been ball striking fanatic Adam Svensson at 7,200 bucks, along with Mito Pereira. Even Pat, Pat Kazire made 10 birdies in the final round at, at the Players' Championship. I think he was only five under, but that's great for fantasy scoring. Pat Kazire was a guy I wrote up at um, before the season started for Golf Digest, basically being like, yeah, he just is always outperforming his expect his 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 uh, leaderboard position with fantasy points because he's such a huge fantasy point scorer. So someone like that is is pretty exciting in a seventy two hundred dollar range and a weaker field as well. Here's the visual confirmation of that patent Kazire stuff for you. So um, I'm in the Holy Grail. I'm on the fantasy data tab. I've got this uh, sorted for the last two years since the start of 2021. And I just have it done by by birdies. And you'll see, you don't have to go far before you run into patent Kazire, who makes more birdies per tournament than Dustin Johnson. He makes more bogeys as well. He also makes a, let's see, he has a birdie streak. Um, Where is he? Right here, 0.4% of, uh, or sorry, four-tenths of a birdie streak per tournament. That's basically the same rate as Dustin Johnson. Um, what he's doing is just making a lot more bogeys as well. That That's very valuable in 
uh, in fantasy scoring. And you can see kind of the names that he's that he's better than. It's better than Brooks Kepka. It's better than Dustin Johnson. It's better than a lot of guys. And you're obviously going to get him at a much cheaper price. And you just hope that um, you hope that he cleans up a couple of bogeys. He finishes like T9 and you walk away laughing. Admittedly, the $6,000 range is pretty bleak, but with the kind of plethora of good options in the lower 7K range, you might not have to dig too deep here. I'll point out a couple of guys that I think are at least a little bit interesting. Troy Merritt is 6600 bucks. He's made a couple of cuts in a row at a lot tougher courses, a lot deeper uh, fields. Um uh, at, at at Bay Hill and at the Players Championship, and he finished eighth here last year. It was just Pebble Beach that we saw him kind of pop up and finish inside the top five as well. So I wouldn't mind that. Austin Smotherman, a name we haven't talked about in a bit because we haven't seen a play since the Honda Classic. Very good ball striker. Uh, again, would not mind that at this Florida course. And then the other name that I I rarely say is is Tyler Duncan, and Duncan is. Uh, kind of in a really awkward spot. So here's here is uh, Duncan's recent results. So I think he's playing better than his results indicate. He's gained multiple strokes to the field in one, two, three, four, five of his last nine. Fifty five percent. That's I'll take that right now. Give me sign me up for four strokes gained from Tyler Duncan right now, and I would take it. Uh, but you look at the results. You know he gained two and a half at the American Express and missed the cut. That is of a, a virtue of the three course rotation. You end up playing the courses on different days, and uh, you can be better than the other guys who played it that day. But you're kind of losing ground to other people in uh, in the in the event. So you you gain two and a half strokes and you miss the cut. It's only really possible to do. At at these course rotations, and then he gained three again at Pebble Beach. He was basically dead even, missed the cut on the number at Phoenix. That was a stacked field, and then he gained four strokes in Puerto Rico. Now, this is not going to be a field you know, nearly as weak as that Puerto Rico field, but you're talking about 6,200 bucks, um, a, a range that you hopefully don't even have to get into. If you do go to Tyler Duncan and he makes the cut and he opens up the salary cap uh, options for you, I think that's that you could do much, much worse. Okay, let's uh, let's create a model here. Maybe that'll help find some other $6,000 guys as well. Here's the custom model on rickrungood.com. I'm going to go last 24 rounds, and I think this one's pretty straightforward. At this point in the week, what I want to do is I want to go with um, strokes gained approach, and we can do weighted strokes gained approach. We know that that's a big one, so I'll put 30. Whoops, I can't type. 30 on weighted strokes gained approach. I would prefer you play out of the fairway. Uh, so I'll go with 20 on driving accuracy. So we've got 50 on our uh, ball striking categories. And then, listen, this is um, this is a unique one. The five par threes and the scorable fives. I, I think what we could just do for the purposes of this early you know, DFS preview, and we could uh you know revisit this on the Wednesday live chat is I'm just going to roll 25 on par 3 scoring and 25 on par 5 scoring and just kind of see what happens here so that's my that's my model for the moment my number one golfer is so oh boy okay no problem here so the young guns which kind of is what I liked anyway Morikawa is number 1 Victor Hovland number 2 love it boom I'm in Things start to get hairy when Martin Laird is number three. Um, let's just quickly bounce back to Martin Laird here. I'll just kind of do this, you know, deep dive research in in real time because I am going to have to do this and we're a day behind. So let's see what Martin Laird has been up to. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so, um, oh, 
Wow. Yeah. Talk about the captain of team no putt. So gains two and a half strokes off the tee and a stroke on approach to players misses the cut because he loses six strokes putting, which is not that uncommon. He's been a big loser in the putting category. He's been a big winner in the approach category. So if you made a model like I did that did not acknowledge the short game statistics, uh, Martin Laird certainly going to pop there. Abe answer number four. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. This is like lining up with exactly the guys I talked about. Russell Knox is five. JT six. Cameron Tringale seven. I forgot about him. $8,000 even for Cam Tringale. Aaron Wise is eight. <laughs> Great. Uh, Xander is nine. Keegan, 10. Patton, Kazire, 11. Sam Burns, 12. Webb Simpson, 13. I could keep going, but I'm not going to read every single player in the field. Very, very interesting. Okay, so I'll probably have to look a, a little bit deeper into Cameron Tringale and decide how much money I want to lose on Russell Knox and how much money I want to lose on Patton Kazire. But this is fairly interesting, and obviously you can see that I have selected no short game statistics because some of these guys are just pure team no-putt fellas. But that's a, a really good starting point to the week, and it's going to be a short week. Again, Just I would just say make sure you're subscribed and uh, getting notified when things go live because the schedule is going to be a bit awkward this week, so I appreciate the support on that. But otherwise, you can tweet me at Rick Run Good. You can leave a comment below. Best of luck this week, and I'll talk to you guys soon.